Welcome to AEW Weekly. I'm your host, Damian Gibson, brought to you by the WrestleWolf Wrestling Network. Could I say the word wrestling any more times? Uh, yeah, g'day. Hope you're well. Um, uh, here to talk about wrestling, AEW wrestling, and all of that that in, is incorporated in the AEW world. So, you know, Ring of Honor, for example, would be something that we would talk about here. WWE is not something that we will talk about here anymore. Got some feedback from some people about, hey man, it's mainly an AEW show, just talk about AEW, that's why I'm here. Okay, feedback noted, that's what we're doing. So the show will be called AEW Weekly. I might do other shows. Um, I really want to get back into doing some... Um, sort of like remember when type um, programs like uh, you know going back and watching WCW and uh, things like that I've been watching the old um, Clash of Champions shows uh, the old WCW ones and like they hold up I reckon. Um, so I wouldn't mind. I don't know what the right format is for that, whether to. I've always wanted to experiment with doing watch alongs. So I don't know whether maybe that's something that can be done. Um, but anyway, this is the AEW show. And as always, there's quite a bit to talk about. Um, I've kind of. I'm dropping this on a Friday, which is a, a strange sort of day to do the weekly show, but it could be all right because it's dynamite's fresh in your mind. I've got a few days to talk, like to think about collision, and then we can also sort of. It feels like it's in the middle of the AEW week. Maybe that's a good thing rather than looking at stuff at the end of the week. Um, I suppose the biggest news outside of in-ring stuff uh, that happened this week is that uh, the Elite have re-signed for four years, by the sounds of it. That's the word on the street. Uh, and Kenny Omega mentioned Collision immediately on Wednesday night. I think um, I think he was poking the bear, maybe. Like, not in a fun sort of way. It, to me, it feels like any sort of... Um, and this is absolutely conjecture. <laughs> so, but to me, it felt like that maybe um, after Brawl Out, I think the Elite expected CM Punk to be fired. And I think they had a pretty humbling experience realizing that even though they're the Elite in all Elite Wrestling, they're not they're not the top draw in the company. And, um, I mean, they may have known that, but it, it felt like, I mean, Brian Alvarez and Dave Meltzer were the elite's mouthpiece during that whole thing. And I was watching a lot of Brian's videos and it felt like, I mean, Brian Alvarez flat out said, CM Punk will never wrestle for AEW ever again. You know, and that's coming from Matt and Nick because those guys are tight. So, I think that's what they thought was happening, or at least what they wanted Tony to do. 
they saw punk as the aggressor in the situation it's their company they were just trying to do the right thing he went after one of their friends and said come and speak to me about it so they did and then punk attacked them that's their version of the story um and of course tony khan who spent more money than god to get punk into the company anyway um which anyone would have had to have paid top dollar for punk punk came to AEW because he his values aligned with AEW, but still tony's not punk's not doing this for free it's not it's not a charity um and tony khan after obviously having some conversations with everyone was like listen everybody's staying and if what i'm saying is correct that the elite wanted punk out to use the opportunity of a of a third show to essentially put punk over here and the elite over here um in hindsight is genius you know and tony's you know, i mean tony cops a lot of criticism full stop about a whole range of things but for him to um navigate this and the huge egos involved and essentially get a result for everybody the elite gets to be the top dogs on dynamite punk gets to be the top dog on collision they don't have to work with each other but they still get to work for AEW. i mean he he has threaded the eye of the needle and to, like the only thing that would have look if the elite didn't sign with AEW and went to wwe then the whole thing's blown up in his face um although from you know what i've said previously on the podcast i don't know if the bucks going to wwe would necessarily be a bad thing there there seems to be in my mind when there's any sort of problems they're involved you know um anyway look everybody's staying elite you know all it is it's fantastic for everybody that the elite are still in all elite wrestling. Um, yeah, so look, it, it is a result. I am obviously a card-carrying CM Punk fan, and I think my appreciation for the elite has been uh, bruised quite a bit because of everything that's been going on. And, and I still find it quite interesting that when Punk shows up on Collision, there's like 15% of the audience who are booing him. Uh, and I just wonder how... Yeah, because Punk doesn't really have like... He doesn't have a guy. He doesn't have somebody in the media landscape talking for him or doing his bidding for him. He doesn't go on social media much at all as someone who's been following him for God, 10 years longer he barely plays anything and if he does it's usually about ice hockey so (laughs) um he doesn't get his point of view out there um and i don't think he really he doesn't seem like the kind of guy who cares that much but he did care about this he did care about the cold cabana thing he did care about uh which makes me think that there was like a fair bit of truth to what he was saying because he just doesn't talk about anything else so for him to get that worked up about stuff, I mean, people were saying shit about Punk for seven, eight years. He didn't say a fucking word. And then as soon as Hangman talked about Colt Cabana, Punk 
used a press conference <laughs> as an opportunity to burn everything to the ground. And he said in that press conference, you know, pointing at guys like Brian and Dave Meltzer, you know, you guys should know better. You're the ones who are propagating this stuff, you know, because they're your friends and da 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 da. So, anyway, in the end, I think, uh, and, and the other thing that has worked in AEW's favor, or if you're an AEW fan, you want to see the elite stay on board, is, um, you know, Vince is back. I mean, look, my attitude. You know, I know I said I wasn't going to talk about WWE, but you know, when I dip my toe in the water and 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 watch some WWE, and you know, I read about it each week and watch reviews. Simon Miller and Ross from Cultaholic do great reviews of stuff. I don't think the booking. You know, people like now people can say bad booking is Vince, good booking is Hunter, um, and that may be the case. Like you know, I. I have no doubt that Hunter, on his own, would be a better booker than Vince McMahon now in 2023. You can't completely dismiss Vince McMahon as a booker overall, even though he seems to be a pretty hideous human being. You know, he was he, like he he he's the the runs are on the board. He's got those gold discs up on his wall, right? So whether you think other people did his booking for him or that he got lucky or that he used extreme wealth to buy all the talent in the country and no one else could compete, you know, probably all of those things are there, but also he can book. But it seems very convenient now for people to be like, oh, well, you know, Vince must have done that because it's bad and... But I, the reason why I bring that up is that Cody's not being. People can go, oh, it's all part of the grand plan, blah blah blah. But Cody isn't even in the fucking title picture for the new bullshit title that they made up for Raw or whatever. Yeah, that's Seth Rollins and Finn Balor seems to be who's going after that belt. So anyway, my point is that I don't. Cody's not being booked well at the moment. He's in a feud with Brock Lesnar. This may end up going somewhere. He may end up beating Roman Reigns eventually. My bet is that he'll probably end up beating Seth Rollins at some point, maybe WrestleMania next year, and that'll be the bullshit compromise where Roman gets to keep his belt, Cody gets to win a belt, you know, and then we all get to go, oh, Cody's a world champion in WWE. But he isn't really because Roman's really the world champion and this is, you know, this is another bullshit belt that has been made up. So I think Kenny and Matt and Nick and Adam Page are all smart enough guys to look over there and say, well... Do we want to be at the top of the mid-card, bottom of the main event picture? Um, you know, getting the shit kicked out of us by Brock Lesnar? Um, or do we want to stay here and be the big dogs on campus? And the other thing as well, you know, what tends to happen, you just got to look at the Good Brothers with AJ Styles. You know, the Good Brothers in New Japan were a big deal. 
even when they came across to AEW, they were a much bigger deal in AEW than they are in WWE. They are essentially a comedy tag team that hangs around with AJ Styles. And that's exactly what would happen with the Young Bucks. I mean, the Young Bucks are small. They're, they're rope-based wrestlers. So they're, you know, they're aerialists. Vince and Hunter hate that shit. They hate it. So, you know, the Bucks might win the tag team titles you know, straight away as a sign of good faith. And then, you know, six, 12 months, to, six months time, they're, you know, losing to the Usos consistently on SmackDown. 12 months time, they're now in NXT competing for the NXT belts. You know, 18 months time, they're just, they just show up while Kenny Omega's cutting promos, you know. It, like... You know, there are people who have gone in there and have made it work for them. Like, Kevin Owens is a great example of that. Um, But, you know, for every Kevin Owens, there's 25 other AEW-style wrestlers who come into the WWE environment and and disappear out the other end. So I think Vince coming back and having some hand in in what's been happening booking-wise and the fact that Cody didn't get, you know the big sort of pushes or or moments that you thought that he might have in the last 12 months, I think would have scared the elite off from going across the WWE. Kenny Omega doesn't want to be, you know, competing with Gunther for the Intercontinental Championship. And I, I genuinely, I genuinely would think that's where he would end up. That's where he would end up. Because the problem, because you know, you're not gonna. I'll get off this in two secs. But if Kenny Omega goes across to WWE, they're not going to mention AEW. They're not going to build up AEW. They're not going to build up the fact that Kenny is a, a, a an AEW champion and New Japan champion. If they did, they could have one of the biggest matches of all time in Kenny Omega versus Roman Reigns. Like the best guy in WWE and the best guy outside of WWE the best guys of their generation, you know, as far as Kenny Omega is the best guy in ring. He, you know, but Roman Reigns is, has been for the last five years, the number one guy in WWE. He's a fantastic heel. He does that job. Well, he's a pretty good in ring performer. They could have a great match. Kenny Omega could make Roman look a million bucks, you know, and I, I think he would probably do the job as well, right? Like he's getting paid well enough. But that wouldn't happen. It wouldn't happen. It would just be, you know, a few weeks of bragging rights of like, oh, we got the elite. You know, I bet you the, the other guys aren't happy about this. You know, a lot of like, oh, welcome to the big time kid jokes. Like, you know, you've probably never seen this many people in a stadium before. All that kind of shit. Anyway, the elite is staying at all elite. Um, I will give credit where it's due. Dave Meltzer said two weeks ago that this was going to happen, and it did. Um, but it's pretty easy to break stories when you talk to those people on the daily. Um, are there too many factions on Dynamite? This is a new theory that I have. Just quickly want to go through it. At the moment on Dynamite, we've got the Elite, right? And I understand the Elite are the Elite in in all Elite Wrestling. You've got the Blackpool Combat Club. 
Uh, you've got the Outcasts. And then there's some smaller ones as well, like Death Triangle keep popping up, even though Pack and the Lucha Brothers being friends makes no fucking sense whatsoever. Especially when, like, you think about the storylines that Pack's had in the last two weeks since he's come back. Is that, like, he, he teamed up with the BBC, the BCC and completely fucked them over. Why? Because he's a bastard. He's a bastard. So why would he not be a bastard to the Lucha Bros? You know what I mean? How is this psychopath from Newcastle upon Tyne best friends with, like, two Lucha Jaws from Mexico anyway? Like, how does, you know? I'm not saying people from different countries can't be friends, but there's been no backstory. You know, maybe it's a PWG thing or a Ring of Honor thing or something like that why they they were friends prior to this, but it still makes no sense to me. Um, but just let, go quickly, just use the Elite and, and BCC as, a, as an example right now. <clears throat> Discounting injuries and all that sort of stuff. In those two factions who've been wrestling each other for the last six to eight months, by the way, you have uh, Hangman, the Hangman Adam Page, Kenny Omega, the Young Bucks, John Moxley, Brian Danielson, Claudio Castanoli, Wheelie Yuta, I will say his name because he's in there, but, you know, I think everybody who listens to this knows my feelings about Wheelie. He's fine, but he's not. The Blackpool Combat Club, which almost seems to have been designed to get Wheeler over in a way, or at least seems to be one of the prime operatives of the faction, has not worked. You need to break up these factions immediately. You've got eight, well, seven of your biggest names caught up in these factions that just keep perpetually wrestling each other. And now that that story's over, you've got the elite wrestling like Jeff Jarrett's crew, which, you know, was a fun little match, but that's not, there's no story there, right? And you don't even need to break it up in the sense of like, oh, we're not fret. Like, it doesn't have to be like, oh, Hangman and Kenny hate each other again. Just they need to be out there wrestling on their own because it creates more storylines. You've got more top-end talent at the pointy top of the show. At the moment, you know, you have these matches where there's four versus four, five versus five, just so everybody gets their TV time, but it doesn't mean anything. You know, like wrestling is one of those weird things where – I think people identify more with a single person than they do with a team. Um, you know, like, I, I know everybody, you know, Blackpool Combat Club versus the Elite hasn't been terrible, but I just think there's far too many people caught up in these factions. You know, I want to see Brian Danielson wrestle John Moxley, you know. I want to see Claudio Casanoli wrestle Brian Danielson. I want to see the Young Bucks wrestle a fucking tag match against FTR or the Guns or Best Friends or the Lucha Bros. Or I can't remember the last time we saw that. You know, they're one of the best tag teams in the world, if not one of the best tag teams of all time. And they just stand next to Kenny Omega at the moment. You know, I know that's sort of always been their gimmick, but at least in New Japan, they would wrestle too. Like, they would they would wrestle. Um, 
I, I don't know whether it's been part of the negotiation period where they've just sort of said oh, we're not doing as much until we get what we want. That could very well be the case, but break those factions up, man. And and the the Stark one for me, uh, Ricky Starks, is the outcasts. Uh, you've essentially got your three top female talents outside of Britt Baker, Hickaroo, and and Jamie Hayter in a faction that also aren't in a storyline and haven't really been in a storyline since they started. Their storyline is we all came from the other place and we think you guys are losers and amateurs, right? Which is the exact same thing Blackpool Combat Club are doing in the men's division. It's fine to have like a superstar heel stable, right? Like I think that's cool. And initially when they joined up, it was like, oh, cool. But who's the Stone Cold Steve Austin? Who's the Hulk Hogan? Who is the Sting against NWO? You know, you've got to pick someone and make them that person. So if they're going to have a reign of terror on the women's division, that's fine. But you've got to have, you've got an antagonist. You don't have a protagonist. There's no one, it changes from week to week. And yes, Hikaru won last night and that's great. Mate, if that becomes the story, the beginning of a story, Hikaru versus the art cars and Hikaru is like this AEW original who was the pandemic champion and all that sort of thing. Great. Let's do that. Let's do it. But you've got to, you've, Tony, if you're listening, you've just got to give it two or three minutes of story each week to make it mean something. Otherwise, you've just got all of these people caught up in Like, the guys get promo time all the time, so that's not my problem with them. But with the outcasts, it's like, who are they going? Like, what's the story here? What's the story? A morning glory. Um, Pretty special moment last night with... Rob Van Dam debuting for AEW. Uh, I, I thought this was great. I'm enjoying this Jack Perry versus ECW thing that's going on. I've got a. I don't know. I mean, if RVD beats Jack Perry next week, it's pretty amazing. Um, I don't. I have, literally have no idea how that goes. I don't even know how I would book it because. You want Jungle Boy to keep the strap and for him to beat ECW guys to get heat um, and eventually for Hook to win it back. But fuck, man, it would be pretty fun for RVD to win the FTW Championship and just have an open challenge for it like he said he was going to. Um, you know, and it might be it might be a good opportunity for Jack to go and do his heel work in Ring of Honor for a bit. Uh, I know that feels like a big downgrade for <laughs> for a pillar, but I don't know if Jack should have been in the conversations being a pillar in the first place. Um, I feel like he did better this week. He he did do better, um, especially up against like Jerry Lynn, who obviously isn't in practice either. He d- did come across as someone who's like, oh, he's he's got some road miles there and he seems more comfortable as a heel than he does as a baby face which is interesting um so that's cool but if you are gonna like if getting rvd on the show was a last minute thing and now you're gonna like 
give him four to eight weeks to just have these fun open challenges. Fuck it. You know, it's not going to hurt Jack Perry's career and do something that's going to get people to watch the show. That's fun. Like I would be like, I'm hanging out for this match next week. Jack Perry versus RVD for the FTW title is not something that one, I thought I would ever see or say and B, be excited about, you know, these feel like the kind of this week's dynamite very much felt like a dynamite, you know, and I don't, it's not like Dynamite has been atrocious for the last year, but I just feel like there's been a lot of shit hanging around AEW, the constant badgering on social media and stuff they talk about all the time, which is bullshit. Um, oh, actually, speaking of that, this week I had a quick look at WrestleTix's bios. So WrestleTix, if for anyone who doesn't know, is this very trusted uh, Twitter account who publishes the supposed crowd figures for WWE and AEW events. And every week, WWE sold out, and AEW is usually at about 80 to 85% capacity. When people ask for follow-ups, he never puts them out there. He says, oh, you can come on my Patreon and see them. I don't know if anyone goes on there or does. But then when I actually stopped to look at his profile this week, the guy has said that he has constructed his own algorithm to determine whether these figures are correct or not. Cool. So I'm just I'm just putting that out in the ether there that the guy who runs WrestleTix has designed like I just want to say it again so you wrap your head around it. This is a guy who has designed his own algorithm to determine who is selling tickets and who isn't. So he's not getting the information from Ticket Tech. He's not getting the information from Ticketmaster like he says he is. He might be getting the maps from there. He might be getting some information from there, but ultimately his final results are coming from an algorithm that he designed. Right. And he's good enough to do this and he's sitting around on Twitter telling people what the crowd figures are for wrestling events. So I think we could probably all unfollow that account. Um, yeah, the, Jer- the Jericho Appreciation Society storyline... As much as I like the idea of it, I just feel like it's going on. I mean, to be, look, I was just going to say, I I feel like it's going on a little bit too long. To be fair, this is how WWE do storytelling. It's very tiny. You get tiny bits of the story sort of, you know, sprinkled along the path for weeks on end. And it is kind of the thing that makes you tune back in the next week to see what's what's happening I, the the only problem with that is that as far as i can see for all intents and purposes chris has joined don callis's family so you know we're getting these like oh next week chris will have to talk to the js and next week chris is talking to the js or this week the js confront chris in his locker room and it doesn't matter like, it's interesting to see that they're upset with him and, and that is, you know, wrestling sort of soapy storylines that I generally love. And I don't hate this when it comes on the screen, but if I take a step back and think about it, it's like, well, Chris just wrestled a match with Takeshita where Don Callis cheated in front of him and he still took the pin. So he is on board. He didn't look, yes, okay, he didn't look happy about it, but he's on board. And then he gets back to his locker room or he's walking towards his locker room and, uh, you know, 
Daddy Magic or whatever his name is comes up and is like, next week we're having a JAS Mother's Club meeting and you're going to be there. And it's like, well, okay, I'm interested. You've done... You've done most of the work because I am interested to see what this conversation is. But we've already had this conversation three weeks in a row. You know, hey, Chris, what's going on? Are you leaving our group that you started? Oh, I don't know yet. Well, you just wrestled with Takesha, so it seems like you are. Anyway, I've been screaming out for like long-term storytelling on Dynamite and for it to be more coherent. We are getting long-term storytelling here with Don and Chris. Um, I just feel like it hasn't been... The blocks haven't been stacked on top of each other in the correct way. Uh, MJF versus Adam Cole. So this this promo this week on Dynamite is kind of what I was afraid would happen... Although it was interesting to get my girlfriend's take because she was watching it with me. Like, my problem with this story from day one has been someone's going to screw someone else. Well, actually, initially it was, let's get through the tag team stuff because, you know, I want to see the one-on-one story, which is what started this week. So, great. And I suppose there is now this thing of, like, when is Max going to screw over Adam? Or is Adam going to screw over Max? And I suppose that's become a, a kind of cool storyline. And this promo was very good. There were some swerves in it I didn't expect. Max came out and did the best <laughs> the best impression of a heel playing a baby face I think I've ever seen. Uh, and then there's some genuinely nice moments between the two. And you do really start to like them as a, as a duo. And then at the end of the promo, Max says, you know, I said I would give you a title shot. I'm not going to give you a title shot. I'm going to give you the title shot at All In Wembley main event, MJF versus Adam Cole, uh, which is interesting because Adam Cole made the announcement for All In. So it's a pretty nice little, um, it's all sort of coming together there. But I, I don't know, there's just something about this story that, I am enjoying it, but I'm not as into it as everybody else seems to be, which is really strange because it's usually me who's like, when I'm talking to friends and stuff about it, I'm like, oh, AEW, like every story, I'm like, I love this story. And my friends will be like, eh. And for some reason, and I can't quite put my finger on it, I think if Adam Cole screws MJF to win the AEW championship, to kind of protect Max, keep him as this sort of goofy baby face and have Adam Cole turn heel, which is when Adam does his best work, that would be that would be my favourite outcome in this story. Uh, but also I don't want a main event at All In to have any kind of screwy finish at all. Someone's got to beat someone. It's got to be a great match. You know, if there's if someone shows up at the end of All In to make it a big thing, then great. But I think whoever wins that match, you want you want it to be their moment. But, I mean, we've still got three weeks before that event happens. Uh, 
I just, I'm real. I am intrigued to see where they take this. Because you can't, if one of them fucks some, I think traditional storytelling in wrestling would tell you that one of them has to fuck the other one over. So we've got a baby face and a heel in the match. I think the likelihood is that MJF would be the heel and Adam Cole would be the baby face, right? But there's also this Roddy Strong storyline going along here and then he like had a little brief conversation with the kingdom last night they're like they've got history from ring of honor so are they gonna start a little faction like is roddy strong gonna start his own little faction i don't know it's good it is good stuff i just there's something not quite sitting with me perfectly with this storyline i don't know if it just it feels a bit crowbarred in I, I don't know but look people were bitching about no matches being announced no build up to all in well it started about a month before the pay-per-view which is pretty traditional man so um you know there you go uh nick wayne oh yeah man this promo i was just looking at my notes swerve strickland and ar fox go to nick wayne's uh well, it's essentially his garage. It's called the the Wayne Gym, or I can't remember his dad's name. Let's just call it the Nick Wayne Gym. And Swerve and AR Fox do an amazing job of being really fucking menacing. They, they, I think this is one of the best promos that's been done in the history of AEW. This instantaneously elevated this story to a, a place that I just didn't think it would get to. This is Darby Allen versus Swerve, essentially, and you've got AR Fox also in there. You know, these guys were... I, th- look, there's so much in this story. I, I really like it. I, I'm not sure who's doing creative on it. Whoever it is is doing a fantastic job. You've got AR Fox who's meant to be an old friend of Darby's and Darby's sort of like holding it over him that, oh, I got you a gig and I got you this opportunity and you fucked it uh, because you lost your temper and and beat down Orange Cassidy. And Orange Cassidy's sort of in and around this story as well. Nick Wayne is Darby's protege and so Strickland and AR Fox go to his gym where he's training with a mate and beat the living fuck out of him. And they smash a, a picture frame over his face of, of himself and his dad. And then Swerve leaves the picture on the ring in the exact spot where Nick Wayne found out his dad had passed away. It's, I mean, these are the kind of stories that really can only be done with people who know each other pretty well and they trust each other and stuff. Um, and as much as I dislike the fact that Nick Wayne didn't win his first match, it is starting to make sense where they're going with this story now that for Nick Wayne to lose his first match to Swerve and then eventually have to beat him at some point is going to be a highlight. It's going to be a fantastic high high point to what has been a fantastic story so far. Swerve is a star. So is Darby Allen. These are two guys who consistently are doing some of the best work on the roster week in, week out Darby gets that recognition I don't think Swerve does um I know a lot of people like him 
I, I don't ever hear anyone going, oh, Swerve Strickland sucks, but I, I don't hear people talking about him in the sense of like, you know, he's one of the top guys in AEW. This promo showed to me, like, just, just uh, you know, completely uh, consolidated my idea of, of how good he really is. If you haven't seen the promo, yeah, go to the AEW um, YouTube and, and check it out because it's fantastic. Um, a couple of things on Collision. Uh, Punk and Starks are just doing a great job. Um, in the main event at the moment, they they had a little promo during the week where Punk pulled out his AEW championship and then spray-painted an X on it, which is his logo, um, meaning straight edge, basically saying he's the real AEW champion and Ricky Starks coming down saying, well, if you are, then I should have that belt because I've beaten you twice. This is old school wrestling booking. And as much as Dynamite was good uh, this week, I enjoyed it a lot. I still think Collision's booking is probably more my style. It's a bit more old school, a bit more less is more. You don't have as many people at ringside. There's not as many people on commentary. It just feels more clear and concise. Like they have a more of an idea of the story that they're trying to tell. They don't have as many people on the roster. And so therefore things tend to make sense. You know, I mean, it's only been five or six weeks so far with Collision, so things can start to go haywire after a while. But um, I know Brian Danielson's working on that show. You've got people like Nigel McGuinness working on the show. CM Punk is involved in booking and stuff as well. Kevin Kelly, who's an old head there. Um, Will Washington, I know, has a hand in in doing stuff for Collision as well. So there's a lot of people who I respect who are working on Collision um, and it, like, again, I don't want to have a sideswipe at, at the Bucks and the Elite, but it doesn't feel like there's a lot of matches where people are getting uh, a match because they're friends with, you know, the guys who have all the stroke. Now, I know people would be like, well, everyone who's on that roster is people who are friends with CM Punk. It's not, besides FTR and to a lesser extent Ricky Starks, it's not really the case. Will Hobbs is friends with Punk as well. And Darby Allen is friends with Punk also, supposedly. Um but yeah. Uh ultimately I think less is more on collision is a lesson that Dynamite could learn just a little bit. You just need to you just need to dial it down slightly. The amount of three man, four man, five man matches we get or three man like you know, Jeff Jarrett's crew is a perfect example of that. If like you've got a three ma- a trios match, the elite versus you know uh, Satnam, Jay Lethal, and Jeff Jarrett, but then you've got like um, oh, I can't remember the little guy's name, and Jeff Jarrett's wife are out there, and then you've got fucking um, the elite's little ice boy guy who I can't remember the name of either at the moment. So there's three, there's literally three people ringside for a trio match. You've fucking 10 people out there. So everyone can get their TV time. It just, it just looks messy. It just, it just looks messy. It just looks like there's too many people out there. Um, but having said that, Hikaru Shida beating Tony Storm for the Women's Championship last night, I think is 
good brave booking from um from Tony it's interesting to take the belt off Tony Storm 3 weeks before all in i assume either Jamie Hayter will be right for all in uh, or as what's being suggested online Soraya will wrestle um Hikaru for that match and and they wanted to essentially have a transitional champion to do the job for Soraya and Hikaru fits that bill because they want to protect Tony a little bit more. That all kind of makes sense. Um, yeah, I saw people bitching and moaning about Soraya winning. Like, oh, I don't want to see Soraya. I don't want to see Soraya versus Hikaru. It does nothing for me. It's like, oh, God. One, it'll be a great match. Hikaru's a fantastic in-ring storyteller. Soraya, I mean, the problem is that Soraya is a heel right now. So you can't turn her into a baby face in three weeks' time. She will not be a heel at Wembley Stadium. If she wins that championship in front of 90,000 Brits, it will be a special moment. It'll be a special moment for AEW, but, but most importantly... Soraya. I mean, she's. Yeah, I mean, there's been some stuff in her personal life that, you know, she, she definitely seems to attract tumultuous times. That That's what I'll. That's how I'll say that nicely. Um, yeah, getting a fair bit of. <laughs> it, yeah. Just look up the Soraya hashtag on Twitter this week and, and have a look at some of the things her boyfriend's talking about. Not great. Um, but yeah, if she was, I mean, this is a person who, you know, didn't think they were going to wrestle again and has had the opportunity to wrestle again. And, you know, if she comes to AEW, helps lift the profile of, of the AEW women's division um, by putting the belt on her uh, and just letting her do her thing for six to 12 months, then I think that's great. I know there's a tendency for AW people to be like, you can't have people come in who are bigger from other companies or from being a free agent and book them in front of the people who've been here from day one. But you absolutely have to do that. Like, if there's people like Soraya or CM Punk on the roster and they're people who will get people through the door sitting down to watch AEW events live or ch- turning on the TV to watch AEW TV, then that's who you've got to book. You know, as much as you might want Sammy Guevara to be the World Heavyweight Championship uh, champion or as much as you might want fucking Abaddon to ever wrestle on <laughs> TV, um, you know, these people aren't known. You know, they've got to, they have to build an audience again, even though you might know them from PWG or Ring of Honor or whatever. Like, yeah, this is a lesson I kind of had to learn with Danhausen of like, he's someone I love. I love Danhausen so much. I love everything that he does. And then when he comes on TV, I'm like, why is he just a fucking manager? He should be world champion. But he, you've got to get used to Danhausen. Not everybody's going to like Danhausen. You know, he needs to be someone who, Builds a, a fan base organically, like Orange Cassidy did. 
you know, really, he became a crowd favorite very quickly and then got a push because of that. So, um, yeah, I think Soraya versus Hikaru at Wembley is great. And I'm very happy that Hikaru is now a two-time AEW Women's Champion. Um, but, yeah, let's leave it there. Collision tomorrow. Well, Rampage tonight. Collision tomorrow. Um yeah, interesting FTR versus... Uh, I like this as a tag team. I like Brian Cage and Big Bill as a tag team. I really like that. I think... Uh, I think they've got something there. I think that's... I think, yeah. I think there's something there. Uh, big, bad tag team. You know, AEW doesn't have starting to get more now, but don't have that many big guys. So if you can have that represented on TV, that always sort of attracts people to stuff. So, yeah, I mean, FT, FTR will win that match. Absolutely no doubt at all. Um, but, yeah, should be a bit of fun. And we've got the um, AW Sam Punk Championship match between Ricky and Punk with Ricky Steamboat. As the guest referee. This is the kind of stuff Tony does that I just love, man. Where it's like, oh, we've got the exact same taste in wrestling. <laughs> anyway, I'm going to leave that there. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Uh, AEW Weekly will do this every week. I think Friday might be when I try and drop it. We'll see. Um, but, yeah, thanks for listening. And uh, I'll talk to you soon.